Dear brothers and sisters, the last few days in Dallas have been a very interesting few days, and this last week has been an interesting week within Dallas with many discussions that involve some serious theological components as well as political components. This idea of forgiveness versus justice, this idea of accountability and the beautiful gesture of the brother of Botham John who was murdered when he showed forgiveness for the murderer of his brother and what that means in terms of justice and accountability and humanizing, I think, more so the family of a person who was wrongfully gunned down while he was sitting in his own home, sitting on his couch eating ice cream when an officer walked in and shot him dead twice or shot him twice uh, to his death and sparking the first conviction of a Dallas police officer since the 1970s where an officer played Russian roulette in the mouth of a 12-year-old boy and blew his head off and got five years for that. And this was the first time that we had a conviction, even though it was only uh, for 10 years, of any sort of recourse for that, not taking into consideration the hundreds of people that have been shot dead in the last uh, five decades between those two cases. And subhanAllah, there was the mother of Botham John. And a mother that captures the sentiments of what you would expect in terms of pain from a mom who not only raised her child to be safe, but to be successful and prosperous. And if you've gotten a glimpse into the dynamics of that family, you will know that that is a family that was extremely uh, protective of their children. And subhanAllah, I just spent my last moments with her. I just came from that where she's, the family is going back to St. Lucia. And she told me something I didn't know because we talked about the police shootings that happened in July 2016. She said that her son had actually moved here just two weeks before uh, July 7, 2016. And she remembered uh, him standing on the balcony of his condo taking videos of all the police uh, driving around downtown and uh, sending those, those videos and those pictures back home and how scared she was for him from those moments that she was afraid and she thought at that moment I should pull him back because it's not a safe place for him to be. And subhanAllah what ended up happening to him two years later was that he would be murdered for no crime of his own. And you see a mother that, that, rawly exp- that, that will express in a very raw fashion her pain at the injustice that she suffered. And not only that, but throughout this entire year was putting forth mothers of police brutality victims that had not had the chance to speak in front of a camera like she did and saying, you should talk to this mother, and you should talk to this mother, and you should talk to this mother. A mother who found out about her son being murdered while she was sitting in the lobby of the DPD, of the Dallas Police Department. They did not even have the decency to notify her that her son was killed. She found out through her phone watching a press conference with the police chief that her son was killed. And she ushered forth mother after mother after mother and said, listen to them. Because you haven't listened to them for all of these years and you should listen to them. And these statements that she'd throw. The last statement I heard from her today, if any of you saw the press conference where signs were held, remember so and so, the, the victims of police brutality. And she said, let me hold the sign for my son. Because I, I, I want to hold my son. When she said just a few days ago on his 20, what would have been his 28th birthday, that to lose a child is to feel the pain of labor in your womb again. She expresses it very, in a very raw manner and very articulately. 
and in a way that a lot of mothers that had lost their children could relate. And you watch that person, and you watch the pain, and you watch the inability to move on, and you think about what type of mercy that Allah has put in the heart of a mother for her child. What type of mercy and love and perspective that Allah has put in the heart of a mother for her child. So much so that she connects that experience to the moment she gave birth to him. And the power of a woman calling out, and yes, I know someone might say, well, she's not a mu'mina. Allah, the Prophet ﷺ said, da'wat al-mazlum, that the, the dua of an oppressed person, laysa baynaha wa bayna Allah hijab, there is no veil between that supplication and between Allah, even if the person that is making the dua is not a believer. As long when they call upon Allah and they call upon Allah and they, and they say, Oh Allah, calling out in pain and oppression, there is no hijab, no veil, whether that person is Muslim or not. And then there's another element to this. Someone might be seeing that and saying, Shaykh, we've already dealt with Kashmir and there's too much going on right now for me to really care about this situation. Seriously. Enough moms that look more like my mom or look more like my wife or that sound more like something that reasonably could happen to me. And I should be focused on that because I don't have the capacity for that. And I remind you that the Prophet ﷺ, in the midst of a ghazwa, in the midst of a battle on an expedition, saw a red bird that was flying over the Sahaba, looked up at that red bird in distress, and the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ فَجَعَ هَذِهِ بِوَلَدِهَا who has distressed this one with her child? SubhanAllah. He didn't say the bird is mad. Man faja'a, meaning if you took the sentence of the Prophet Sallallahu it, it would you could think he was talking about a human being. And the Sahaba might have thought maybe he's talking about a human being when he says it in that fashion. Man faja'a hadihi biwaladiha. Who distressed this one with her child? He was talking about a bird in the midst of a major tragedy, in the, or not tragedy, in the midst of a major expedition. But the Prophet ﷺ notices a bird complaining about her child. And one of the Sahaba took the egg, or took the child from the nest. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Ruddu ilayha waladiha. Give her back her child. Give her back her child. Even the Prophet ﷺ seeing that, an animal, a bird, in the midst of that, was caught because there's something about a mother with her child, even when it's not even human. That connection of rahmah, that one part of Allah's mercy, that covers the entire existence as it is here, that we experience now. The 99 that we hope, bi'ithnillahi ta'ala, the rest of which we will experience in the akhirah. Allahumma ameen. That Allah would cover us in that exclusive mercy, that is far more encompassing. That's encompassed, that small portion here that's encompassed. How much of it is encompassed from a mother to her child, a parent to their child, and particularly, specifically, a mother to her child, Muslim or not Muslim, human or not human, there is that connection that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts there that's extremely special. And the Prophet ﷺ taught us to honor that connection. Allah teaches us to honor that connection in so many different ways in the Qur'an. And then you see da'wat al-mazloom and the, 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 the cry of the oppressed, the dua of the oppressed. And you see those images broadcast constantly that numb us. 
But you'll see the dua of a woman, a mother in Palestine, or the dua of a mother in Kashmir, or the dua of a mother from the Uyghurs, oppressed and mom talking about her child. And you think, how near is that supplication to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And you don't want to be on the other side of that dua. You do not want to be on the other side of that dua. You know, you hear the dua with the Prophet, the, the, the saying of the Prophet sallallahu fear the dua of the transgressed. Fear the dua of the oppressed. And you might think that the Prophet ﷺ was talking to Abu Jahl. The Prophet ﷺ was talking to Mu'adh bin Jabal عنه, as he was sending him off to Yemen. A great companion, a great one of the fuqaha, one of the jurists of the companions, of the greatest of the companions, and saying, be careful. Don't transgress. Because a lot of times we think of dhulm and we think grand. Your mind immediately goes to you know, to, 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 to Egypt or Syria or wherever. Not the potential that I might provoke the dua of someone against me. And that person's dua is connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, unknowingly maybe transgress on somebody else's rights, backbite somebody, which is a transgression, which is a form of dhulm. And they call out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala against me. May Allah protect us from ever provoking that type of a dua against us, ever provoking that type of a cry against us. But I want to stick to the dua of the parent. Prophet ﷺ says in a hadith in a tirmidhi, he mentions three types of duas that are accepted. He mentions da'wat al-madhroom, the call of the oppressed. He mentions al-musafir, he mentions the one who is traveling. And then the Prophet ﷺ mentions al-walid ala waladihi. Al-walid ala waladihi, which means the father on his son, but it actually expands to the parent for their child. It encompasses both, uh, both parents. Like the Prophet Sallallahu said in another narration, which is also authentic, Da'utul walidain ala waladihima. The dua of two parents on their child. And though it says ala waladihi, the prayer of a parent against the child, it also encompasses the prayer of a parent for the child, as the scholars of hadith have mentioned. Oftentimes you read the opposites, not of the meaning, but the implied from a hadith. And so if the Prophet ﷺ mentions an accepted prayer against, then that means the opposite of which is for. And so just as you should fear the dua of the oppressed against you, it could be that the dua of the oppressed for you is your saving, is your saving dua on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. When you support someone who is mazloom, when you support someone who is oppressed, and they make dua for you. So the implied meaning can be drawn from it as well. And there is a potency of that prayer against a child as well. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned, لا تدعوا على أنفسكم ولا على أولادكم ولا على أموالكم. He said in an authentic hadith, don't make dua, don't pray against yourselves or your children or your wealth, because it could be accepted. You might say it in anger, and especially the more severe implication of this, which is to actually take an oath or a covenant, to take a yameen, uh, an oath that, you know, that implies cursing your own children, because it could be accepted, and you might say it in anger, or you might say it in a moment, but be careful, don't make dua against your children, don't let that become a form of your discipline, because Allah listens to the dua of the parent when the parent makes dua in regards to the child. Be careful. Don't let that become a part of your anger. Instead, make dua that Allah guides them in your anger. Don't make dua that Allah punishes them, even when you're upset. 
Because it has potency. We have the story of Juraj that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned to us that I'll summarize uh, or I'll paraphrase because of time, where there was a righteous man, a abid, a person who worshipped Allah nonstop. But he, ref- he did not listen to his mother when his mother called out to him one day to take care of a very small task. And she prayed against him that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not let him die until he met a zani, until he met an adulteress. Later on, some time passed and a woman came claiming that Juraj was the father of her child. Juraj was put through a massive trial. The end of it was his innocence. Because he was innocent. But Allah answered the dua of the mother against him and clarified his innocence. Not having two conflicting scenarios in that's in that situation where you have a potent prayer and you have an innocent human being. So there is something to the dua of a parent against a child and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from ever being on that side of a dua. Where we anger or displease our parents justly or our parents are justified or justly angry with us or we do something unnecessary to trigger their anger and they, and, and they do that. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never allow us to be amongst those who have that Dua made against us from our parents. Allahumma ameen. So the opposite implied. What does it mean to actually get the dua of your mother? When your mom or your parents will actually say, Oh Allah, and they'll have something that is favorable to you implied in that dua. In this khutbah, I'm going to use at some point a hadith from Sahih al-Bukhari. The entire collection of Sahih al-Bukhari and that legacy and what it means to the ummah would not be possible without the dua of a mom. A very simple one. It's not simple in the nature of the request. But it was natural in how it flowed from her heart to her tongue. Her child was blind. And she made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah cured the blindness of her son. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent her the good news that her son had been cured through Ibrahim alayhi salam or a, a, you know, seeing Ibrahim alayhi salam in a dream giving her that bushra, giving her that glad tidings. And she wakes up and she goes and she sees her son and her son could see. And everything that we have from Imam al-Bukhari, every single time a hadith is narrated from him, every single time one of his works that is not typically ascribed to him is of benefit to the ummah. It goes back to that dua of a mom. It goes back to that supplication of a mom for her child. She didn't know that she was making history when she was making dua. She was just making dua for Allah to cure her son. She wasn't implying, she did not say, oh Allah, cure him so that he can compile the greatest uh, book, man-written book in the history of mankind. She didn't do that. She just said, Oh Allah, cure him. She made dua out of love for her child. That Allah cure him. And Allah answered her. And we all have her to thank for that. And of course, beyond that absolute gratitude going to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but the vehicle of that cure was the dua of the mother of Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah. It's a way in which a person removes their greatest sins. Ibn Abbas ta'ala anhu, a man came to him and confessed of a major sin. And he responded to him and he said, Ummuka hai, is your mother alive? And he said, no. So he just said, then go seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Why did you ask if his mother was alive? That's what the children, that's what the students asked him. Why did you ask him if his mother was alive? He said, because I don't know of a greater act of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than birr al-walida. Then when a person honors their mother, I can't think of anything else that could possibly expiate a sin that heinous, a sin that major, like birr al-walida, like him honoring his mother. It is the greatest way to honor Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even if your mother is directly telling you to disobey him. In the situation of Sa'd ibn Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, whose mother took an oath that she would not eat or drink and she would not wash her hair or go inside her home until he left Islam. Can you imagine that type of torture to Sa'd? That his mom says to him that I will not eat, drink, comb my hair, remove lice from my hair, or get out of the sun until you renounce Islam. And Allah sends down a verse ordering him, despite her ordering him to curse her, to curse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to curse him, despite her ordering him to curse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah orders that he honor her. And even mentions in the ayah in Surah Al-Ahqaf, وَوَصَّيْنَا الْإِنسَانَ بِوَالِدَيْهِ إِحْسَانًا حَمَلَتْهُ أُمُّهُ كُرْهًا وَوَضَعَتْهُ كُرْهًا وَحَمْلُهُ وَفِصَالُهُ ثَلَاثُونَ شَهْرًا Mentioning that, look, she carried you. We have ordered excellence to both of your parents. And then specifying the mother. That she carried you in pain, she gave birth to you in pain, she fed you in pain, she nurtured you in pain, she went through all of that for you. She deserves that honor. Even in that situation, she deserves that honor. And so it is the way in which the scholar of this Ummah bin Abbas عنه, saw an expiation for a major sin and even kufr is not enough for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove the obligation from you to honor her. It's that significant that the Prophet wasallam, when a young man comes to him to join the battle, the Prophet wasallam sends him back to his mother and mentions Jannah at her feet. Greater than even that moment. What is it about that dua? What is it about that ikram? What is it about that honoring? And what, what is the, the, the limit to the potential of the barakah, the blessing that could come in one's life as a result of that honoring of a parent? And organically having a dua made for you. You know, if you notice, subhanAllah, any of the stories that I've mentioned thus far that I will mention, no one actually goes to their parent and says, make dua for me, puts their head down and says, Put your hand there. Even though you can do that, it's good. But it comes in a natural response to khidmah and takreen. To, to the service of the parent and to the honoring of the parent. That they make dua for you. That they supplicate for you. And there's this incident that's very, uh, that, that's very prominent because it's the Prophet ﷺ mentioning someone who he did not meet, but that the companions would meet. And the Prophet ﷺ saying, if you meet this man then solicit dua from him, then ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then ask him to make dua for you. And who was this man? It was a man by the name of Uwais al-Qarni from Yemen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him. Who never got to meet the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And what held him back from coming to the Prophet sallallahu was his mother. Why was he so special? Why would the Prophet sallallahu not only make dua for him and mention him, or have that inspired to him, even though he never came to the Prophet ﷺ, because what held him back 
from actually physically joining the Prophet ﷺ was his honoring and service to his mother. And the Prophet ﷺ told the companions, if you meet this man, if you see him, then you will recognize him. While also making mention of his virtues And Umar ibn Khattab when the Hujjaj would come from Yemen, goes to these people and asks them, is Owais amongst you? Is Owais amongst you? Is Owais amongst you? Until finally they point to this man, Owais. And Umar goes to him, says, are you Owais ibn Amr? He says, yes. And he starts to inquire further about his tribe, about where he's from. And he said, did you have leprosy? And you recovered from it, except for the spot that's the size of a dirham. Meaning Allah cured you from leprosy, but you have a spot, which is to remind you of that blessing of a cure. Yes. So every time he asks him, yes, yes, yes. And he says, I heard Rasulullah wasallam say that there will come to you Owais ibn Amr from the reinforcements of Yemen. He had leprosy from which he recovered, but a spot the size of a dirham. He has a mother and he honors her. And I swear by Allah that if he were to swear upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if he was to take an oath upon Allah, Allah would honor that oath. Just because of that, that one thing that he does, he was not cognizant of his place in history. Just like the mother of Al-Bukhari did not know the implications of what she was doing when she was praying for her son, he did not know the implications of what he was doing when he was serving his mother. He thought he was just a guy in Yemen that was serving his mom and that was doing basic khidmah. And as a result of that, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu asks him to pray for him. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, that where are you headed? He said, Kufa, Iraq. He said, can I make you a governor of Kufa? Can I appoint you to an office or something? All of this honor, why? Because Allah honored him through that. Who knows what his mother would say about him or to him when he would do so. There's another young man from Yemen, Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who accepted Islam along with Tufayl ibn Amr al-Dawsi. May Allah be pleased with him. This young man who came back to the Prophet ﷺ from al-Dawsi, from the tribe of al-Dawsi, and accepted Islam. And as he brought his mother with him to Medina, can you imagine the pain of Abu Huraira? When he's coming to meet the Prophet ﷺ, his mom is cursing the Prophet ﷺ. His mom would dishonor the Prophet ﷺ and refuse to believe. And Abu Huraira who came to the Prophet ﷺ in pain, and he said, Ya Rasulullah, she says these things about you and it's hurting me. I don't know what to do. Prophet ﷺ did not say, well, here's a sword. Go take care of that. The Prophet ﷺ did not say, you know, dishonor her, disobey her, say something to her. The Prophet ﷺ saw the pain of Abu Huraira in wanting that hidayah for his mom so bad and responded to the request to make dua for his mother. Asked Allah to guide his mother and Abu Huraira who goes home and he can hear the water running. She was taking a shower. And when she finished taking a shower, she was doing ghusl. She told Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. She accepted Islam right there. And Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu was so full of joy. And this man who was from Ahl al-Sufa, from the people of the Masjid, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant hidayah to all of our parents, those of us in this Majlis and beyond. Who, who, who wants so badly hidayah for their parents, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept that dua from you. 
And he saw that moment, he got to receive that, so he got her a bustan, he got her a place, a garden, a home. And every day after salah, he'd go to the masjid of the Prophet and then he'd go visit his mother. And every single time he'd finish with his mother, he would say to her, or when he would greet her, he would say, Assalamu alaikum ya ummi, peace be unto you, my mother. She would say, Wa alaikum salam to my son. And then he would say, Rabbirhamha kama rabbatni saghira. Oh Allah, have mercy on her the way she raised me when I was a child. And she would respond, Rabbirhamhum kama baraani kabira. And oh my Lord, honor him and have mercy on him the way that he has dignified me and obeyed me in my old age. Can you imagine that was the dua of Abu Hurairah that he would hear five times a day from his mother? That an oh Allah, have mercy on him because of the way that he treats me in my old age. I guarantee you, again, Abu Hurairah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, not knowing his place in history at the time, every one of our radiallahu anhu does not equal in the sight of Abu Hurairah what, when it, what it was like to hear that from his mom every day. Oh my Lord, have mercy on him. The way that he honored me in my old age. Dear brothers and sisters, that single dua is so precious. And I want to end on a few concepts with this. There is no limit to that dua. No limit to that supplication of a parent. There is a narration, and it has no sanad, it has no chain, so I'll put that out there, but it has a beautiful lesson that Musa alayhi salam asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Sa'ala Musa rabbahu man rafiqi fil jannah, that he asked Allah, who is my companion in paradise? And so he was told about this particular man, and he goes to see this man, and he's a no, you know, he doesn't see, he's not known, he's anonymous. At least as far as Musa Islam was concerned to the public. And he goes and he spends some time with this man. He asks his permission. And all he would see is that every day this man would save the best food. The best water that he would collect. He would do what he could and then he would enter upon his mother and he would serve her. Every single day. And Musa Islam asked him what, what, that, what was happening in that process. And he said, every single time I serve her. Then she makes this dua. And he does not know that it's Musa Islam in front of him, that she makes this dua, Allahumma ja'al waladi hadha, oh Allah, make this son of mine, ibni hadha, rafiqa Musa fil jannah. The companion of Musa alayhi salam, the companion of Moses in jannah. Subhanallah, the dua of a mother could even get you the companionship of a prophet. That lesson is valid. The dua of a mother could get you the mention of a Prophet in the Prophet ﷺ, as in the story of Owais. And more than all of that, it could bring barakah in your life and acceptance in the hereafter in ways that nothing else can. So what does this mean for us? Number one, that barakah is induced, that blessing is induced through natural service. You don't, that's not, you don't call your mom or dad now and say, make dua for me. Take it as a lesson for you to do things that will naturally induce a good dua. That's the first thing. Number two, if your parents are not alive, then just as when they are alive, you are to honor them with that goodness, then honor them with good deeds in their name. That sadaqa jariya, that continuous charity, those good words, those good duas, those good mentions. And those deeds will reach them. And on the day of judgment, they will be holding those good deeds that you did on their behalf and testifying in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for you bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. So that door is not shut. 
And the last thing I want to speak to, because it frequently comes up in the community, the mother-in-law. None of these khutbahs are excuses for oppression. All of them speak to a norm. And a lot of times when the mother-in-law is mentioned, it's like, oh no, well that's not my mom. If the dua of a mother can bring that much barakah in a person's life, you better want your spouse to get that dua from their mother. Husband and wife, part of your making your spouse a more complete Muslim and getting that, and, and getting that barak in life that has effects for you and potential ridha, that potential pleasure in the hereafter, is when they get those du'as from their parents. Don't see your mother-in-law as an opponent in that sense of khidmah because it may be the khidmah that your husband or wife gives to their mother that brings that barakah in your married life and in your life in general and your acceptance in the hereafter. Don't see them as opponents. Help your spouse honor their parents. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to honor our parents and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be a force in honoring mothers in society and fathers in society. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow that to be on our scale of good deeds and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept the prayers of our parents for us, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our du'as for them. Allahumma ameen. Qulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah wa rahim.